Reading for this morning is John 15. Be reading the first 11 verses of the chapter. Please give your careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning needing your word, needing your encouragement, needing your comfort, and we praise you that your word is a a limitless source of all of that, Father, a deep ocean, Father, shallow enough for a child to wade in, but deep enough for all of us to plumb the depths of, and so we just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and that you would give us courage, that you would give us comfort, and that you would give us Father, a sense of your will in our lives and in your church that would define who we are, that would define what we do, that would define how we serve you and how we live by faith. God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know it's a a little bit tough now to come and preach and listen to a sermon after hitting you all with that news. And this text, this passage, I'm probably preaching to me more than I'm preaching to you. It's, it's hard because all of these people who are leaving us are people who mean a lot to us, so much to us, and have given so much to us, and have been used by God so much to bless this church so much for years and years and decades. And we just, it feels like you just can't, I can't fathom How do you, what now what? How do we go on without them? So believe me when I say that I feel that every bit as intensely as any and all of you. So here's the deal. The church, not just this one, but the church with a capital C, including each and every one of its local bodies, is God's church. And it is His to build and to grow and to provide for as he sovereignly sees fit in his perfect wisdom, in his perfect will, in his perfect providence, in his perfect timing. And so if Job could say 
when God sovereignly stripped him of so much that was precious to him. It is the Lord who gives and it is the Lord who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then so can we when the Lord leads and gives and takes away for the good purposes of his sovereign and all wise glory. Can you say amen? This past Christmas, uh, one of the One of the gifts that my eldest son, Justin, asked for was a bonsai tree because he was drawn to this art, this careful and meticulous and artistic way in which you have to care specifically for that kind of a tree and cultivate it. So my my gift to him this past Christmas was a, a genuine bonsai tree that had been lovingly and carefully germinated and grown, I think, for the past 10 years before it came into his possession, and after several months of watering and caring for this little tree, the time came when Justin said that it needed to be pruned for the sake of its health. And so he did all of this research, he read, he watched videos about how to carefully and properly prune a bonsai tree in just the right way at just the right time, in order to optimize its health and its its vitality. And he took it out on our deck, and he starts pruning it, and when he finished, he brought it back in, and it looked like a different tree. And I thought, you've gone too far. You've pruned way too much, because this big old bushy kind of tree that I had bought for him for Christmas was now like significantly smaller thinned way out. It looked way different than it had before. And then he says to me, now dad, the next thing that has to happen is you have to pull it up out of its soil and you have to trim, I think, two-thirds of the roots of the tree and then put it back in the soil. And I said, you're going you're gonna to kill it. What are you doing? But he said, no, no, it's not going to kill it. And in fact, if we don't do it, it's not good for the tree. And I thought about Jesus' words in John 15. And I said to myself and I said to my wife, that little tree is our little church. Because, as you all know, for the past several years now, with many, many precious saints from our body moving on, some of them moving on to glory because they have passed away from this life and into the next, and then others moving on to other places in this world, in the kingdom of God in this world, like the McCohens and the Kinslows and the Rasmussens and the Junodes and others, and now the Carlsons and the Freemans and the Smiths. God's been pruning us, branch and root, pruning us aggressively for a while now. And as this little picture, this little metaphor that Jesus uses in John 15, as it makes it so clear, none of that pruning means that the branches or the roots that Jesus prunes have anything wrong with them. It doesn't mean that they're bad for the church. It just means that in His perfect wisdom, in His perfect providence, He knows what's best for every branch, for every root, for every part of every church in His church. So, Jesus does say sometimes there are unfruitful branches. 
that he's got to cut off and do away with. Because in the metaphor, those are unbelieving, unfruitful people in the church that have to be removed for the true church to be more, more healthy. And we've had some of that in our history on occasion over the years. Sad cases of, of, of unrepentant sin that required discipline and didn't result in repentance. And so God removed the unfruitful branches. And that's hard and that's painful, but it's necessary for the health and the life and the benefit of the fruitful branches that remain. And then on the other hand, Jesus says right there in verse 2 that even the branches that do bear fruit, He prunes so that they might bear more fruit. Sometimes, in God's good providence, good, healthy, faithful, fruitful branches have to be pruned by God in order for them to be able to generate more fruitfulness. And that, hard as it is, painful as it is, is what God in His goodness is doing as a faithful vine dresser in our church and in the lives of Kirk and Mary Beth and Joe and Jen and Chuck and Lisa and Trudy and Donna. These fruitful branches for decades have faithfully borne much fruit for the glory of God. And now He's pruning us and now He's pruning them. And He's going to replant them elsewhere in His kingdom, His church, where they will continue to bear much fruit. And likely even more fruit than they would be able to bear here. And somehow, in His good providence and in His perfect wisdom, as painful as that is, as sorrowful as that is, that's going to help us who remain here in Felton in God's good wisdom to bear much fruit also. So today, I want to look together into these great, wise, comforting, encouraging words of Jesus in John 15 as we think about the life of His church and about our lives in Him. So, as we read through this passage... And Jesus' words and the picture that he's painting for us here in John 15, the two key concepts that he's trying to get across to us here, that in his sovereignty he believes we need to understand, are the the twin concepts of, of pruning on the one hand, and then abiding, abiding on the other hand. And they both go together. And there's an important way in which they relate to each other that we need to understand this morning. So in order to understand the the great blessing of the pain of pruning, we need to understand what Jesus means by abiding. In these verses, Jesus uses that word abide ten times between verses 1 and 11. It's It's the word meno in Greek. It's a word that just means to live somewhere, but, but specifically to live there permanently. To remain somewhere. Not to visit somewhere, but to remain. In fact, if, if you've got a different translation of, of the English Bible than I do here, yours might use the word remain instead of the word abide throughout this passage to translate that word. And that's for good reason, because 
The simple little English word remain really does sum up what Jesus is driving at here. The only way to everlasting life in glory and in the kingdom of heaven, the only way to escape the wrath of God that is to come, and the only way to bear fruit for God and for His kingdom here in this world, in our lifetimes, on this earth, in His church, the only way is to be in Jesus Christ and to remain in Him permanently. And here Jesus is teaching us what that means. So notice that in most of the ten places where the verb abide appears in the first ten verses here of John 15, it's used, as, it's, it's used in a descriptive way. It's used as a description of the reality that Jesus is trying to define for us here of what it means to be in Him. So verses 4 and 5, no one can bear fruit unless they are abiding in Him. Verse 6, if someone is not abiding in Him, then they're cut off. And thrown into the fire. There's no life. Verse 7, Jesus provides for those who are abiding in Him. And then the sense of it shifts in verse 9, doesn't it? And instead of being a description, it becomes more of a command, right? So because this is why it's necessary to abide, this is what your life in me consists of, Therefore, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. In the imperative. Do it. Jesus describes true believers. And here He's, by the way, not just talking and and thinking in an individual sense. He's also thinking in the sense of which we are all brought together in Him, in His body, in His church. And so he describes us individually and corporately as people who are abiding in him. That's what we are. And then he also commands us as people who are abiding in him to abide in him. And it's important to understand something about that command and other commands like it in the New Testament. And, and what, I, what I'm saying, what, one of the things that's important to understand about some of the things that God commands us to do in His Word is that some of the commands are not in this world and in your lifetime going to be all or nothing kinds of commands. Some are and some aren't. This is true of ordinary life too, right? Certain commands mean... It's all or nothing, and other commands mean there's going to be degrees of compliance. It's just the way it works, right? You can tell a child to sit down. Now, there's no in-between. There's no degrees. That's an all or nothing kind of command, right? It's It's like a toggle switch, a light switch. It's either on or it's off. That's how that kind of command works, right? Pick up your dirty clothes off the floor. Brush your teeth. They either do it or they don't do it. It's black or white. It's, it's yes or no. But not every command works that way, right? Tell your kids to clean your room. And that involves a little more of a nuance, right? With the command to clean their room comes this understanding that there might well be greater or lesser degrees of compliance, and greater or lesser degrees of expectation on our part as to how they fulfill that command. 
A child can really, like you say, clean your room and they genuinely want to obey you and they go in there and to the best of their ability, they think they've done a really great job cleaning up their room and they come back in the kitchen and you say, did you clean your room? And they say, yes, I did. And they're so happy. And you go in there and you go, did anything happen? <laughs> and see, the good, the, here's the point. The good parent, the good parent accounts for that has some understanding of that, has grace for that, knows also that we are the children in God's household who are like that. Sometimes obeying isn't like flipping a toggle switch, it's more like moving a dimmer switch. And it's true also that in God's Word we find this kind of dynamic, right? Some commands, they're the toggle switch kind of command. You shall not commit adultery. There's no gradation there. Black or white, all or nothing. If a man lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. It's black and white. Don't do it in any way, shape, or form, period. And then some commands in God's Word, I think, imply that there may be degrees of obedience. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, Jesus says. But no one can just walk outside right now And make disciples of all the nations, all at once, right? And in the same kind of way, a lot of the commands of God about the way we live, about our sanctification, about our pursuit of holiness, have to be understood to involve a process, right? Husbands, love your wives. Now, if you don't do that at all, then there's... No obedience to the Lord. But if and when you don't do it perfectly and completely, which in my experience is every day, there is obedience, it just still needs to grow. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we all know that if it's an all or nothing right now, then we're in big trouble. The goal is perfection in all of these things. And God, who is a good Father, knows that while we learn to obey Him here and now, so often it will be imperfectly, it will be incompletely, and we will require much grace from Him to continue to grow, and He delights in supplying that grace in abundance. So, for example, when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means means be continually influenced in your life by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Is that going to be more like a toggle switch in our lives or like a dimmer switch in our lives? How about Jesus' command here? John 15 verse 9. Abide in my love. All or nothing? Nope. See, if it's nothing, if there is no abiding in God's love at all, then there's a serious problem, and that serious problem has eternal, everlasting ramifications. But when the command, abide in my love, is something but not everything, 
when you're not fully and completely abiding in the love of Jesus 100% every second of every day, you don't need to fear His wrath. You just need to plead His grace. Because He's a kind God. He's a patient God. He is an eternally and infinitely good Father. So, Christians obey some commands to varying degrees. And some commands like this one are characteristically true of all Christians to varying degrees. Someone who's not filled with the Holy Spirit at all can't even be said to be a Christian with any kind of confidence. But no Christian is going to be 100% influenced by the Holy Spirit's power 100% of the time in their lives. Same is true here of abiding in Christ and in His love. If it's a zero, then that means something is terribly wrong with the state of your soul. But when it's not 100, it means you're still growing. And that God is patiently and lovingly calling you to keep growing by feasting every day on His grace. And these commands... Like this, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to abide in Christ, to abide in His love. These are the God-given ways of feeding us with His grace, of enabling us to persevere. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that way. Run in order to obtain the prize. And I promise you that as you strive to keep that command, to run the race, not just just kind of flopping around in the back and happy to cross the finish line in some way, but you want to finish first. And as you try to run that way, according to that command, your ability to, your endurance, it's going to fluctuate. Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Hebrews 12.14, strive for peace with everyone. Strive for the holiness without which no one will ever see the Lord. Jude, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I guarantee you that as you seek to obey those commands, you will constantly see imperfection and incompleteness in those areas. And that shouldn't cause you to become complacent and go, well, that's okay then because you know no one's perfect. But it also shouldn't cause you to fear the wrath of God. It should cause you to plead His grace. I want to run as if to win and I need your grace to do it because I'm not perfect and I hate that. I want to be better. And it requires your help. So when we see imperfection, when we see incompleteness, we don't succumb to despair. We don't succumb to defeat. Because God is a loving, patient Father. He knows. He understands. He cares. He provides all of the grace that we need to keep on growing and persevering and running until the end. And the way that He does it is by giving this this command that spurs us to obey, but also shows us how weak we are, how imperfect we are in our obedience. And that, see, spurs us to turn to our Heavenly Father for the grace that we need to grow. 
And so he's using here, Jesus is using this metaphor of a vine, like a grapevine, and the branches that grow off of that vine and bear fruit, the grapes, and the vine dresser who tends to the vine to make sure it bears the fruit. He says, He is the vine, we are the branches, God the Father is the vine dresser. So here's the point. First of all, verse 1, then again in verse 5, Jesus identifies Himself as the true vine. I am the true vine. Again, picturing a grapevine. The vine is what pours life into its branches. And that is the only way that those branches will ever be fruitful. And again, I think we, we need, and this morning I want us especially all to understand all of this in both an individual sense about our personal lives and in a corporate sense. What he's teaching us here applies both to our individual lives of faith in Him and to our life together in the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ. You will continue to grow in fruitfulness as you abide in Christ And as God the Father faithfully prunes you. And we, as the body, as the church, will continue to grow in fruitfulness as we all continue to abide in Christ and as God the Father faithfully prunes us. So, the point of Jesus' picture here is simply this. If we're not truly connected to the vine then we will never truly grow and bear fruit. People who are not truly connected to the vine might do things in their lives that are outwardly good, but they'll be the kinds of things that God describes in Jeremiah chapter 64 where He says, all your righteous deeds are like a polluted garment or filthy rags, as the King James says of the kinds of good works that aren't born out of faithful hearts that live unto God and that live and abide in Him. So see, when Jeremiah says that, he's not talking about the imperfect works of truly faithful, redeemed people. That's not a verse for Christians to quote about themselves. What Jeremiah is describing there when he says all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. He's talking about the so-called righteous works that are done by hypocrites, unbelievers, who only do outwardly good things but out of inwardly poor motives, self-serving, self-righteous motives rather than God-glorifying motives like the Pharisees did, who obeyed outwardly, but the inside of their cup was filthy and they were like whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside, but full of rot and decay and hypocrisy and greed on the inside. So the only way that true God-glorifying fruit is produced in a person's life is if they are truly, if they are vitally through living faith, connected by the indwelling Holy Spirit to the person of Jesus Christ, who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And then they will bear fruit as a a process of growth in their life. 
Their motives won't be all pure. They won't be perfect. Their obedience won't be perfect. Their fruit won't be perfect, but it will be growing if they abide in Christ. And so in verse 4, Jesus says, the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And you can only ever work out your salvation progressively, step by step, with fear and trembling, Philippians 2, verse 12, because it is God who works in you, verse 13, both to desire and to do, both to will and to do what pleases Him. All your resolve, all your best efforts, all your attempts to make your life work will crash and burn unless you abide in Christ. It just means that Jesus is the exclusive and only source of life and of true fruitfulness in your life. And apart from Him, you can do precisely nothing. And so then also, in verse 1, Jesus identifies God the Father as the vine dresser, as the one who tends the vine, and ensures that having been connected to Jesus Christ, that vine can bear fruit. And how does He do it? The way the vine dresser ensures the fruitfulness of the vine and increases the fruitfulness of the vine and the branches on the vine is by pruning it so that it can produce more fruit. And that's the goal, right? Increasing fruitfulness in your life, in my life, in Carlson's life, Freeman's life, Smith's lives, in the life of our church, in the life of the church globally. Increasing fruitfulness is the goal. And sometimes as you look at a vine and there's all these fruitful branches growing, you might look down at another part of the vine way over here in Texas and go, it's not, it's not as fruitful as it should be. What do we do? Well, sometimes what God does is He comes over to a really fruitful place and He, and he, he takes a, a fruitful branch off of here and He takes it over here and He transplants it and grafts it in so that there can be fruit there. And you go, well, what about, what about over here? Well, look around you. There's a lot of new faces over here too. There's a lot of new vine. There's a lot of new branch. There's a lot of new fruit. And this is how God does it. It's, it's His vine. We are His branches. It's fruit for His kingdom. It's His church. It's all for His glory. And this is how God does it. I'm going to prune you to make you more fruitful. Pruning is painful. And there's a reason why this helps us be more fruitful. See? In verse 2, the branches that don't bear any fruit, they just get removed, right? But the branches that do bear fruit get pruned. Verse 6 says, those fruitless branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. And we know what that is. That's a graphic description of the eternal consequences of not abiding in Jesus Christ at all. Not growing at all. Not producing fruit at all in your life. That's someone who has said they believe in Jesus. Says they're a follower of Jesus. But in reality, their faith isn't real. In reality, they've just got this this intellectual understanding 
or even a level of conviction that what God says is true, but it lacks real trust in Him. And real trust and submissiveness to His truth. Which is proven by the changes that 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 trust engenders in their life. Like we talked about last week when we talked about repentance in Acts chapter 11. Does that make sense? This is what real faith is. It involves understanding what God says... But see, even atheists do that. They can quote you what the Bible says. They understand it. Faith has to go beyond that. And it has to include affirmation of the fact that what God says is actually true. Atheists don't do that. They say, I understand it, but I don't believe it at all. It's not true at all. So you don't just have to understand, you also have to affirm that it's true. But you know who does that? James says demons do that. I understand it and I know it's true. I affirm it. But I hate it. I don't trust it. And I will not stake my hope to it. That's still not enough to save you, see? Right? Genuine faith understands. Genuine faith affirms and also implicitly trusts in the truth of God and His Word. Hopes for eternity in the truth of God and His Word. And when all three of those levels are operating, knowledge and affirmation and trust, then see, the course of the life just naturally follows. That's when fruit is just naturally born And if it's not, then there's no true life. Because any connection to Jesus has just been in name only, or just intellectual, or maybe even just emotional, but not vital. Not alive, not true. So that branch will end up being cast off and and burned, Jesus says graphically, forever. But then the other side of this coin is that the true branches, in the ones that do bear true fruit, God the Father... The Sovereign, Almighty One, He sovereignly and He lovingly and wisely prunes so that they will bear more fruit. And and here's the implication of that. It's this. It's that when hard, painful things are happening in the lives of people who love God and in churches that are faithful to Him, we need to be confident that this is not a sign of God's displeasure with us, of God's punishment of us, but that it is a sign of His loving commitment to help us grow. The Lord disciplines the one He loves, His Word says in Psalm 94 and Psalm 119 and Hebrews 12. God is treating you as beloved sons. Hebrews 12 says He disciplines us for our good that we might share in His holiness. In other words, that we might bear more fruit. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, what does it yield? It yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness in those who have been trained by it. And that's the way and the only way that we have to understand and respond to hard trials in our lives and painful times, and even loss in our church. Not with bitterness, not with discontentment, not with resentment, not with anger, not with fear, not with 
skulking kind of self-pity, feeling like God must be unhappy with us. Not all tough circumstances have to do with God being unhappy and punishing people in their sin. So much of it comes as a natural and ordinary part of life in this world. It's a life that's full of pain. And when that all happens, we don't just understand those painful things as the the random effects of chance or fate or just the way the world's going. We understand that these things happen because this is what our sovereign God is doing and ordaining and allowing. And He does all of that for a sovereign purpose. Every single thing. And we don't, we don't just understand that. We don't, we don't even just stop there. It's not just chance. It's not just the motion of the spheres. It's not just the course of history. It's the sovereign purpose of God. But we go one step further even and understand that everything that's going on, even the painful things that are going on, are, are manifestations of God's sovereign power and authority and also expressions of His goodness and faithfulness and fatherly love. All of them. When trials come, when sorrows like sea billows roll, just realize if you are abiding in Christ, He's not punishing you, He's he's pruning you because He loves you. And the snipping and the cutting, it hurts, but it helps. Because in His sovereign goodness, He's causing all things to work together for our good. He's using the trials to produce endurance and character and the hope of everlasting glory, Romans chapter 5, which will not put us to shame. It won't let us down. You go through these things in life and you go, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Maybe there's not something at the end of all of this pain that's going to be worth it. Well, don't worry. It's all going to be worth it. It won't let you down. It won't disappoint you. Everything that God's doing in you through the painful pruning is worth it. The result will not disappoint you, I promise you. When we encounter trials of various kinds, we can know, James says, we can have great confidence that God is sovereignly ordaining and purposing those things to produce steadfastness in us and to help us bear fruit. And here's why. Because when we know that God is a good and faithful vine dresser and a kind and merciful Father who is sovereign and good in all things, then when we encounter the hard things, what do we do? If we think God's mean and capricious, if we think He's not sovereign, if we think He's not good, if we think He's not trustworthy, what do we do? Well, we turn to ourselves or we turn to something else in order to try to find escape or comfort or hope. And then it just makes it worse. But if we know that God is good, if we trust that He is sovereign, and if we trust that even as He prunes us, and even if it's painful, that it's got purpose and it's good, then when He does it, we turn to Him. And we abide in Him. And so we grow and bear fruit in Him. And that's the connection between the pruning and the abiding, see? 
one leads to the other and back around as he continues to cause us to grow and grow and grow. And so as painful and as difficult as the pruning and as testing as the trials are, they draw us closer to Him in faithful dependence. And as that happens, more fruit is born in our lives and in His church, not just this little one in Felton, but everywhere in this world. And so see, what Jesus is teaching us here is very similar to what He teaches us all throughout the Scriptures. Think of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He teaches that Christians who are already filled with the Holy Spirit's presence, right? We're baptized into Him. We're filled with His presence. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit already. But but he says we, we, we need to continue to be filled with His influence over our lives. How? By abiding. How specifically? By allowing the Word of Christ to richly dwell in us. And here Jesus is saying the same thing. In order to bear fruit, Christians who are already in Christ, who are already truly vitally connected to Jesus through living faith, we have to remain. We must obey His command to abide which means that we must maintain this vital connection through the means to do that that God gives us so that we will continue to grow and be increasingly fruitful all the way towards the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. And one of the primary ways that God our Father faithfully trains us to do that is by pruning us and providing us with these circumstances that drive us to Him And keep us off of our laurels and on our knees before the throne of His sovereign and indomitable grace. So how do you abide? When the pruning drives you to your Father, how do you you encounter Him? How do you find Him? How do you commune with Him? How do you abide? How do you draw near? You need to understand... Jesus gives us the answer here. And in order to know it, we need to compare verse 4 with verse 7. In verse 4 of John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, it's a command, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. How? How do we obey this command, especially when it comes to the I in you part? How do I make sure Jesus is abiding in me? Remaining in me. How do we make sure Jesus is abiding in our church, remaining in our church, even as He's pruning us? Well, compare it to verse 7. He fills it out some more for us. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the phrase, My words, in verse 7, explain The words, I in you, in verse 4. Jesus resides in you when His words reside in you. Jesus' fruit-bearing life remains active in you when His Word is continually remaining in you. 
If you continue in my word, he said to his disciples in John chapter 8, then you are truly my disciples. Same thing is true again for our individual lives as well as for the body of Christ. What are we going to do as a church when hard things happen and people die and people have to leave? We're going to abide in Christ. Still, how? Because His Word is going to abide here. We're going to understand together that God who is sovereign and faithful and good is pruning us so that we can be even more resolute in abiding in Him, in remaining steadfastly and uncompromisingly devoted to His living and active Word here. So that it can cause fruit to continue to be born. Here. Well, what's Joe going to do? Well, he's going to go to Texas and abide in the Word and follow the pathways of God's providence along with the Freemans, along with the other Carlsons and watch fruit be born there and the Smiths in Kansas and the Junodes in Arizona and everywhere else, everywhere else they've gone. You know how we take maps and we put pins of missionaries that we've sent out on the maps and usually you've got like six or seven pins? Think of all the pins. If everybody who had come to this church and abided in Christ with us here and been filled with His Word here and then went out and was transplanted along some other point on the vine, if we put pins, they'd be all over that map. That encourages me as I say goodbye to precious friends. As we get pruned over and over, I just think, what, what, what an amazing thing God is doing. And then I see all of the pens that if other churches who had people leave them and be pruned from them, there would be a lot of pens in Felton. There would be a lot of pens in Felton. So we will continue to abide in His Word and fruit will continue to be born by the power of His Spirit and His life in us here. And when that's happening, when Jesus is abiding in us because His Word is remaining us, then He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Anything? Like a new car or $10 million? No. See, whatever you wish assumes that our wishes are being formed by the Word of God that is remaining in us and not just by our own selfish and myopic and sinful and worldly desires. As God's Word remains in us, then God's will defines our will, our desires, our ambitions, even our requests, more than our own, apart from Him, desires and ambitions and feelings. And so then we won't be asking God for lots of the kinds of the things that this world treasures because the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace when we are all abiding in Him. And the measures of success that this world has will seem foreign to us. And we will see the true fruit of what He is truly doing and we will rejoice. So we'll be asking for God to give us the grace to conquer sinful thoughts and attitudes and words and habits. We'll be asking for God to make us look more like Jesus in all our attitudes and all our actions and all our reactions. We'll be asking for God to use us 
to bring glory to Him, no matter what it costs us, no matter how hard it is for us. We'll be asking for God to grow our church, but not not in the way that the world defines growth, but in terms of fruitfulness. As we continue to abide, as we continue to preach and proclaim and teach His living active Word and the Gospel, and shine the light of His truth and His love out into the darkness and reach out into this, this, this groaning world with all the sweetness of His grace and make disciples so that He might glorify Himself through us. And when you start to pray things like that, God, glorify Yourself in us no matter what that has to look like or feel like or what the experience of us, whatever the cost. When you pray that way, God, glorify Yourself no matter what. God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. And you may go, ooh, be careful what you ask for. I didn't see him answering it that way. But when he does, just remember, his way is higher than your way, and he is glorious, and he is good. So when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, that's what he means. He means, let my word abide in you and obey it. Don't just understand it. Submit to it. Trust it. Bow to its majesty over your reason and over your feelings and desires even as you bow to the sovereign God whose word it is. Read it. Feast on it. Meditate on it. And be shaped by it. Let it form your thoughts and attitudes and desires and in every way let it govern the course and the direction of your life because that's how fruit will be born. And again, all of that's true as individuals and it's every bit as true for us corporately as His body, as His church. Abiding in Christ by His Word remaining and abiding in us is the only way that fruit will continue to be born here. Not through worldly strategies, not through trying to put together these great programs that will draw a crowd. We will abide in His Word. And God will give us all of the gifts that we need to minister in whatever ways He wants us to as He grows organically fruit from His vine. That's the only way it's going to work. And in His sovereign and loving and faithful wisdom, it is very often the pain of pruning that trains us to abide. To always stand firm on the sure foundation of His living, active Word and to never, ever compromise to never put any of our hope in all of the techniques and all the strategies and all the things of the world instead of in the wisdom and the power of God and His Word and His Gospel that is His power unto salvation. So that's what we're going to keep doing together as a church, even and especially through the painful seasons of God's faithful pruning. Listen to a quote here by Jerry Bridges. He says this in his book called Transforming Grace. He wrote these words, God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of His children. He never allows Satan, nor circumstances, nor any ill-intending person to even afflict us unless He uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good, the good of conforming us more and more to the likeness of His Son. Pruning is 
painful and it is always purposeful. And God our Father is the faithful, masterful vine dresser. He's always good in every sovereign purpose that He ordains. His pruning is good. It's good for us personally and it's good for us as His church and it's good for those people who He's pruning from us to transplant somewhere else. And again, that's the glorious thing about the vine. What He removes doesn't wither away and die. What He removes becomes fruitful somewhere else and probably more so than it could be here. And so very often that's how he does it. He prunes away one particular part, transplants it somewhere else so that it can grow and thrive and be fruitful there. And then sometimes, and praise God for it, he does, he does it in the other direction for us. And so we lose Carlson's, we lose Freeman's, we lose Smith's, we lose Junod's, we lose Rasmussen's, we lose Kinslow's, we lose so many others, and we gain Johnson's. And we gain Nagels. And we gain Immerts. And we gain Estes. And we gain Lettings. And Schimmels. And Parnells. And McKittricks. And Michael, I don't even remember your last name because you you just got (laughs) transplanted here. But here he is. Look what God does. Last night, Wendy and I started, we were just crying and writing down the names, just the, the names of all the prunings from this past year. And then she says, well, what about, let's list all, and you know what, the lists, the lists are almost the same size and length. God is good. Every redeemed soul needs to know. Our Heavenly Father is faithful to prune as He will, to transplant where He will as He covers this earth with His glory like the waters cover the seas. Ours is to trust. Ours is to abide. Ours is to walk by faith, not by sight, as we entrust ourselves to Him and as we in Him bear fruit for His kingdom. Ours is to leave to our God to order and provide, knowing that in every change He faithful will remain. He's the vine, we're the branches. He's the faithful and good vine dresser. And knowing that and abiding in Him is our only hope in this world. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. And when the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. It was Him in whom we abide. So, we will continue to run this race, fixing our eyes on Him, laboring on in our weakness, and rejoicing because we know that in our need, it's the power of God that is displayed. And we will remember and we will all trust that it is through the pain of pruning that the peaceful fruit of righteousness is born. Say amen. Amen. Father God, we say amen with heavy hearts, but hearts that rejoice because of who you are and what you do and how good you are and what you reveal to us about your persistent, never-flagging faithfulness. So God, help us to trust, help us to abide, help us to bear fruit. And Father, glorify Yourself in Your church and give us the grace to say, none of it had to do with us ultimately. It was only Christ in us. Yet not I, 
but through Christ in me. And we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, page five. Let's stand and let's sing it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.